Oh man, I'm really excited to be here with all of you guys. Uh, and uh, again, jumping into exploring the wonders of God together. Just an unbelievably exciting thing to do. Uh, just uh, wasn't really going to say anything this weekend about it, but I just thought I'd mention it because, you know, th- things, when things get a bit weird around here, I figure I should tell you what's going on. So if you happen to see me laying on my back on concrete somewhere in the, or sitting in chairs in the lobby or sitting here and not standing and preaching, it's not because I'm not super excited about the passage. Um, I, I've herniated a little disc in my lower back, so my sciatic nerve is trying to kill me uh, whenever I'm standing or walking, but when I'm sitting, it's okay. So um, I've got lots of awesome people praying for me and um, participating with God in multiple therapies that we're doing. So I'm sure it'll write itself soon enough. But in the meantime, sitting uh, helps me not die. So that's really, really good. So um, if you notice that happening, that's what's going on. Um, Do you guys want to see something super cool? Okay, that was better than both the morning services, but still not like super excitable. Like this is really cool. Do you really want to see it? Okay, that's what I thought. So I'm going to ask Robert to uh, to wheel it on over here. Um, by the way, this is Robert. He's on our facilities team, one of the team here. Uh, would you just uh, thank Robert and the facilities team for everything they do? Because um, they, they spend most of their time in the invisible realms in this church, uh, putting tables on stages and emptying trash cans and cleaning bathrooms. And it is a way that we make the gospel beautiful around here. Because if they didn't do those things, it would be very inconvenient for you all. And, and it's not inconvenient because they work their tails off all day long to keep things beautiful so you can experience the gospel uh, in an easy way. So they don't just clean buildings, they make the gospel beautiful. And I'm incredibly grateful for the facilities team. So uh, this is a tree. And you might go, uh, you said something super cool. And I said, yeah, that's just because you don't know what you're looking at. So this seems like a pretty ordinary tree, but it is anything but ordinary. See, this is a lemon tree. Um, It has a lemon root and a lemon branch. And that first branch that you see heading off the side of the tree, that is a lemon branch. And at some point in this tree's life, on that branch, it is going to produce lemons. And I'm going to be able to pick those lemons and enjoy those lemons along with my 17-agers and 10-year-old because they'll consume them in no time at all. But this tree is something far more awesome than that because my dear friend Ted and his wife Sarah... Uh, They have gifted uh, my wife and I this tree, but they didn't just give us a lemon tree. You see what Ted did because he's super cool and he's a farmer and he's awesome is he went out and he found a branch with oranges on it and he grafted that branch into this tree. So this tree will not only produce lemons, but it will also produce oranges on this very tree. So I will get lemons from this tree and I will get oranges from this tree. Isn't that pretty awesome? Oh, but that's not all. See, because Ted was super cool, and he found a branch from a grapefruit tree, and he grafted that into this lemon tree. So on one of these branches, I'm going to get lemons, and on one of these branches, I'm going to get oranges, and on one of these branches, I'm going to get grapefruit. And they're going to produce all year long different fruits at different times, and I'm going to be able to pick those fruits and enjoy them. But that is not all. See, because Ted is incredibly cool, he found a tangerine branch and he also grafted that into this tree. So this tree will produce four different fruits throughout its annual life cycle and I will be able to, along with my family, enjoy all four of those fruit varieties. Because he's grafted into this lemon tree three other branches along with the lemon branch so that it will bear much fruit and a variety of fruit. Isn't that super cool? Isn't that super cool? I'm just super excited. 
in the industry where they do grafting into things, they don't usually do it to, uh, to make their pastor giddy. That's not usually the reason that they graft all sorts of awesome things onto trees. Usually they do it because it has a giant benefit to the industry that is trying to grow a particular fruit. So what they do is they find a root that is most resilient to the environment in which they are planting the trees. Then they graft a tree onto that root because whatever the root is resilient to, that is gonna bleed into the branches and the fruit and it makes the branches and fruit resilient to the same things. So, for example, in the citrus industry in our area, they found that lemon roots are incredibly resilient to things that orange tree roots are not. So they grafted a bunch of orange trees onto lemon roots because then the trees, because they were grafted into that root, would extract their nutrients and their resilience and their sustainability from that root. And they became better orange trees because they were, they were being uh, fed by lemon roots. And then when the freeze took place, it turned out one of the downsides of a lemon root is that it's not very resilient to cold, and that's why the freezes did a lot of damage. So they're constantly in the industry trying to figure out what root system is going to produce the best resilience for whatever tree we graft into it. So you'll often see a root base that looks different from the tree itself, but yet the tree grows and bears wonderful fruit in an environment that is trying to damage it because its root system is resilient to that environment, even though it is not its own natural original root system. Isn't that awesome? So this is how uh, um, grafting works, right? You take the original root and a piece of the branch that comes out of the root. So you'll see on the slide there's a branch. So call that branch the old branch that is with the root. So you don't see the root on it now, but imagine that branch is on a root. Then you very strategically take a branch from a different tree, a new branch. You cut that branch off the tree that it was on and you bring it to the old tree. Then you take the old tree, the one with the root, and you very strategically slice into that at a place where the nutrients are going to come through, where a node is beginning, where a branch might grow. Then you take the new branch and you cut down past the bark into the inside parts of that branch because the inside parts of the new branch have to connect to the inside parts of the tree that you're grafting it to. Then you put them together by sliding them into each other where you've cut. Then you bind them and over time, the branch that was added to the tree becomes a part of that tree and you can't tell the difference like you see on this tree. This tree, you don't know which branch is which other than little tags on it telling you what they do because they are now as though they were always part of the same tree. That's pretty awesome. When God is describing to us complex realities of his redemptive story and his relationship with us that would be difficult for us to grasp and understand because they are complex, he often relates those complex realities to simple things that are observable for us so that we can make the connection between what is beyond us and yet what we can see. So that's why he often uses human relationships as a picture of the relationship he has with us because if he didn't do that, we wouldn't fully understand what it meant that God was, was our parent and we submitted to him or that he was our groom and we were his bride other than the fact that he said, it's kind of like a groom and a bride. I'm the groom, you're the bride. Oh, I get it now. So oftentimes he'll do that. 
The passage we are about to encounter in Romans chapter 11 is incredibly complex. Not because the passage itself is complex, but because the issues we're dealing with in God's redemptive story throughout history, when you read this, they have so many moving parts and the parts seem to stand in opposition to each other because we are only observing what we've seen throughout history. We cannot see behind the curtain at the great, beautiful spiritual work of God and he is gonna pull the curtain back again for us and show us here's what's actually going on, but when we see it, it's gonna be difficult to reconcile these different moving parts. And so what God is gonna do through Paul is he's going to lay out this complexity for us and then he's gonna tie it to some very simple pictures, in this case, not relationally, but in terms of nature and what we observe in nature so that we can go, oh, that's how it works. And then we will see the beauty of what he's trying to describe and its resulting part in us is that we will know the magnitude of God's mercy in new and unthinkable ways. And why now? Because we're in chapter 11 and chapter 12 begins, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, here's how you should live. So God is now, through Paul, finalizing the last pieces of the unimaginable magnitude of God's mercy. And we are about to encounter it in some crazy cool ways. Are you ready? Let's grab our Bibles and go do this because it's gonna, it's gonna be awesome. All right, Romans chapter 11. Uh, if you are using one of the Bibles that we provided at the door, we are on page 1048, 1048. If you're using a smart device or one of your own Bibles, Romans chapter 11, verse 11, Romans 11, 11. Okay, before we jump into verse 11, just a quick reminder, we are in the context of chapters 9, 10, and 11, where at the end of 8, uh, the Jewish people in the Roman church, in the church in Rome, uh, asked the important question, ethnic Israel, our Jewish kinsmen, who have rejected the Messiah? Do they still belong to you, God, since you promised through the covenants and the promises that they were yours? Or are they now rejected? Uh, and Paul says in the beginning of nine, listen, I, I, man, this grieves me to tell you, but the only way uh, to be a person belonging to God is through the work of Jesus Christ and faith in Christ. So if they've rejected the Messiah, uh, though being ethnic Israel, they are not part of the belonging people of God now. To which the question was, then how is God faithful if he made his promises to ethnic Israel and now they are rejected by him? And that's what Paul has been answering for chapters 9, 10, and 11. Here's how God is absolutely still faithful despite the fact that ethnic Israel that has rejected the Messiah doesn't belong to God now. And we most recently in chapter 11 went through Paul finalizing that argument by demonstrating the incredible reality that ethnic Israel as a whole, though not all of ethnic Israel because Paul himself knows Jesus so it can't be all of them, but ethnic Israel as a nation stumbling over the Messiah because they held onto the law and, and, and the, the, circum, the covenant of circumcision have actually stumbled over the Messiah and have landed back on their self-righteousness and now that self-righteousness will become the very weight and curse on their backs and they have now stumbled over that very thing. So he's just ended this section of 11, 1 through 10 with they stumbled over these things and, and that is their story and it makes sense that God is faithful despite that. So 
as he's been talking in 9, 10, 11, he's been speaking primarily to the Jewish people, right? Because they're the ones that asked the question at the, at the end of eight, what about our kinsmen? And he's been talking to them. And while he's been talking to the Jewish people for 9, 10, and the first part of 11, all the Gentiles in the church are listening into the letter. And what are they doing? Same thing we would all do, right? Mm, amen. Mm, you, you preach it, Paul. Wow. See, I told you God was still faithful, even though he rejected ethnic Israel. It's the way it is. Because that's what we do. When a parent is lecturing one sibling and you're the other sibling, what do you do? Mm, mm. Shouldn't, shouldn't have been behaved that way. That, that's good, Dad. You need to repeat that to him because he needs to hear that twice. Unbelievable. What a fool. If we don't say it, we certainly think it because that's what we do. So the Gentiles have been sitting around listening to this whole unpacking of why God is still faithful even though ethnic Israel that rejected Jesus has been rejected and they're just going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And now Paul is going to bring all of this together and show us how God's faithfulness behind the curtain has been working all along for ethnic Israel and for the Gentiles simultaneously in absolute wonder. So watch this. Grab your Bibles. Chapter 11, verse 11. Ready? So we just came out of... Uh, 11, 9, and 10, you remember there, and David said, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them, okay? Now, verse 11, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? It's, it's kind of a silly question, isn't it? Did he trip so that he would fall? Is this like a riddle? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, it sounds like a riddle. Did he trip so he would fall? But the question actually makes a lot of sense when you, when you look at what Paul's saying, because remember, the question that people are asking is, okay, listen, um, now that ethnic Israel has, has stumbled over the Messiah and have, hasn't received, have not received him, are they now rejected? Are they now rejected? So Paul's going to say, when they stumbled over the Messiah, is the result of that stumbling now going to be their demise, their fall? That ethnic Israel that was once in as the people of God are now out as the people of God. And the Gentiles who were once out as the people of God are now in as the people of God because they received the Messiah. They were faithful and ethnic Israel was not faithful. So when they stumbled, is that so that they will fall? So are they going to fall now that they've stumbled? Is that going to be the result? Let's take a look. By no means. I love when Paul does this because he doesn't just say no. No, no, they're not going to fall. He goes, no, 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 no. By no means ever, no. That is not what their stumbling is going to result in. They are not going to fall. And then we go, okay. Why not? I mean, they stumbled over the Messiah as a nation. I remember, just a quick little reminder, God is not talking about individual people here. He's talking about history, the span of history, and the entire redemptive story throughout the span of history, dealing with two major people groups, the ethnic Israel and the Gentiles, all other tribes, tongues, and nations. And he's looking at those two saying, how has God woven his redemptive story through these two incredible groups of people? Who's in? Who's out? Who's been rejected? Who's chosen? Right? That's what we're trying to wrestle with. Watch what God does, okay? By all means, no. Rather, 
through their trespass. Who's there and what trespass? This is ethnic Israel and their trespass, their sin is rejecting the Messiah. You with me? So through their rejection of the Messiah, them stumbling over the one that they should have recognized, because that's why the Gentiles are all a bit arrogant here, right? Because they're like, you should have known this was the Messiah. You had the Old Testament. You had the prophets. You had the covenants. You had everything. And you missed him. And us Gentiles, we had nothing. And we found him. Uh." And he's like, okay, so hold on. Through their trespass, their stumbling over the Messiah, salvation has come to the Gentiles. This is a crazy thing. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. What, what, is, what is he talking about here? Okay, so watch this play out. Uh, you can't see this in this verse. It kind of builds through this, but I'm gonna give you kind of a clue of what's going on here, okay? Because we've looked at this a little bit more broadly. In the story of Israel, if we observed it from the Old Testament perspective as Israel, this is what we thought the story would be, right? God has a bunch of nations and they're all maniacs, right? They're all sinful crazies. The flood happens, Tower of Babel happens. Then what does God do? He chooses for himself out of all the nations, a nation, the nation of Israel, right? Then he takes the nation of Israel. They end up in slavery under Egypt. He rescues them out of slavery. He gives them his ways, his law, his righteousness. He gives them his revelation, the prophets. Uh, He gives them clarity, the covenants, the promises of their salvation. And then he protects them and separates them from all the nations of the world. So we believe, if we look at it, that God has chosen Israel and rejected all the Gentiles. Does that make sense? That's what we think is happening. Okay. Then as we go along, what we believe, or at least what Israel believed was supposed to happen, is that at some point God would send a Messiah. And what would that Messiah do? That Messiah would overthrow whichever Gentile nation was currently occupying Israel. Then he would set Israel up as the queen that rules by his side, essentially, right? As the people, his people, that rule over the pagan Gentiles and make them submit. Because they're really just a bunch of pagans, but now Jesus is in command, and now they have no choice but to bend their knee to Jesus. If that story played out, they were faithful, the people of God, and he came and he rescued them and set them up as the nation over all nations, and they ruled over us, would we belong to God? No. We would be ruled over by Israel and God, and we would submit to him because we'd have no choice. Is that how the story played? No, you see, Israel stumbled. And Israel didn't believe the Messiah. And so Israel lost their space in this story momentarily in this place. Now, this is what's what's so awesome. What God's going to show us is it wasn't because Israel stumbled that they lost their place. It's that he wrote into the story that they would stumble so that this wouldn't be the story so that we would get in. Like he's been doing this all along. So what he's trying to say here is this, listen, The trespass that Israel affected in rejecting the Messiah, them stumbling over the Messiah, made the room for you Gentiles to gain salvation. So when you're sitting saying, oh my, so since they stumbled, are they going to fall? He goes, by all means, no, let's start here. Their trespass opened the door for your salvation. God's intent was always that Israel would not be exclusive, but that they would be used to show the wonders of God to whom? All nations, tribes, and tongues, so that who would be blessed through the Messiah? All nations, tribes, and tongues. And so in the stumbling of Israel, now the Gentiles come to faith in Jesus and become the people of God. And this is what happens with Israel. Now watch this. Take a look at this. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. (laughs) 
so as to make Israel jealous. Now you might say, boy, that's super mean. No, no, that's because you haven't read further. And we're going to read further in a second, but let me give you a clue, okay? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, watch this. I had Israel over here and I chose them out of all the nations and I demonstrated myself to them so that all the nations would see the wonders of God through Israel. And then they would display the Messiah and in their stumbling over the Messiah, it would open up the, the gateway for the Gentiles to come in and become a part of my family. But I'm not done there because as the Gentiles come in and become part of my family because of Israel's revelation and Israel stumbling, I'm going to use the Gentiles to make Israel jealous and then they're going to be jealous and come back to me and be part of my family. So here's what God's doing. He's drawing a circle and going, I'm using Israel to bring you to salvation and you to bring Israel to salvation and Israel to bring you to salvation and you to bring Israel to salvation and I am working the entire system out so that my faithfulness is demonstrated to whom? All tribes, tongues, and nations, including ethnic Israel. I have not rejected one for another, uh, and I have not changed the game. It wasn't that I chose Israel and rejected the Gentiles, and then rejected Israel and chose the Gentiles. When I chose Israel, it was for the Gentiles, and when I chose the Gentiles, it was for Israel. I mean, we could stop here, but we're not going to because there's so much more. Take a look at this. Watch this. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So here's what he's saying. If you think it's cool that I brought the Gentiles into the story in the stumbling of Israel, how much cooler is it going to be when I bring Israel back into the story on the other side through the Gentiles that were brought in because they stumbled? I mean, you want to talk about what's going to make God just beyond faithful. This is how it's going to roll. It's going to be super cool, but Paul's not done. Look, now, he says in verse 13, I am speaking to you Gentiles. So here's a giant shift, right? He's been speaking to the Jewish people. Now he's getting on us Gentiles. He's going, okay, Jewish people, you relax for a second. We've just spent three and a half, two and a half chapters going through all your stuff. Now, Gentiles, we need to have a little conversation. Okay, Gentiles, you ready? So this is where you buckle up if you're a Gentile because it's about to get crazy, okay? So now I'm gonna speak to the Gentiles. And as he says that, in the dynamic that we're talking about in the church in Rome, immediately that would have felt a little bit like you were for the Jews, but now you're actually for the Gentiles. And it kind of sounds like the entire time in Romans you've been for the Gentiles. And so Paul says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and look at this, look at this. In so much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. So he's literally saying to the church, I'm now going to speak directly to the Gentiles because frankly, that's who I've been speaking to in this book. And you Jewish people, you're suddenly going to feel a tad jealous. You're going to feel kind of like I'm a tax collector, but a spiritual version, right? I'm supposed to be for you, but I'm actually for the pagans. And, and so you're going to kind of go, well, you're Jewish. You can't be an apostle to the Gentiles, but I am an apostle to the Gentiles because Jesus made me so on the road to Damascus. Do you remember that? Jesus told Paul, you're going to go preach to the Gentiles which must have been quite an affront to Paul back then, but now is beautiful. But why is he making such a big deal to the Jewish people to say, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, that's who I'm for? Does he have a heart for the Jewish people? Yeah, he's been saying that all along, but watch this. Look at this. In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Now Paul shows us why God uses the Gentiles to make the Jewish people jealous. What is he trying to do in making them jealous? Save them. Save them. And he's not trying. This is his plan 
to graft into the story everyone from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Watch now, watch now. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now, he's just repeated himself. He just said that, didn't he? If, if their rejection brought us in, how much cooler is it going to be when our coming in makes them jealous and brings them in? Why is he repeating himself? Because he just said, Gentiles, I'm now talking to you. So it's almost like he was talking to the Jewish people. Now he's saying, Gentiles, pay attention right here. Okay, so where did we just leave off? If their rejection brought you in, how much cooler is it going to be when your coming in makes them jealous and brings them back? And we all go, Wow, that's awesome. How did it all happen? Let's take a look. Okay, watch. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now you're hearing root and branches and you're like, ooh, the tree. But this isn't actually about the tree. So ignore that entire thought. This comes in later. This is actually about the promises that he made to Isaac, to to, to, um. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the original promises, the covenant of circumcision, the promise of a Messiah. Here's what he's saying. Just like when we sacrifice in the Old Testament, what we would do is we'd take dough, we'd make multiple loaves of bread out of the dough, but the first loaf you made, you always brought to God as a first fruits. Or uh, the root of a tree, out of the root, the tree was born, so if the root was holy, then the tree was holy. If the first loaf of bread offered to God is offered as a, as a sanctified loaf of bread, a set aside, a holy loaf, what it would do is it would make all the loaves holy. Here's what I mean. Just like tithing today is supposed to do. It's not supposed to be about turning the lights on in a church. It's supposed to be you and I reminding our soul that our resources, the stuff we have, isn't our savior. It isn't what makes us secure. It isn't what makes us safe. Our resources are a provision from God and he is our savior. He is our safety. So we take the first part of our resources and always give them back to God to say, look, this reminds me that this is not my savior. You are. And so what you do is in doing that, you sanctify or make holy all the resources because you mentally go, All the resources are from who? God. So they are not about the resources. They are about God. And then they become holy. So he says this. Just like in the sacrificial system, the first loaf would be offered so all the loaves are sanctified. Or the root is holy so the tree is holy. So too Gentiles. Remember he's talking to Gentiles. The root of the promises of redemption started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And though they were made for all nations and all tribes and all tongues because he's going to bless everyone through Israel, the context of their making was to whom? Ethnic Israel. And so if the root of the redemptive story is holy and the first fruits of the redemptive story is holy, then the whole redemptive story is holy and the story of Israel is going to tie into this whole story in incredible ways because remember, what question are we still trying to answer from the beginning of nine? Is God faithful if he has allowed Israel to be rejected? And here Paul's saying, they are rejected but not. Watch. Watch. But if some of the branches, verse 17, were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing of the root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Oh, now we know why he's talking to the Gentiles. See, I told you the Gentiles were starting to think, mm-mm. 
those crazy Israelites rejected the Messiah and they should have seen him, but they had unbelief and so they were cut off from God, though they were once the chosen, now they're not. And we, the Gentiles, we were wise enough to recognize the Messiah, so though we were once the rejected, we are now the chosen. You see? See how they're thinking? And now he just went like this. Okay, so. (laughs) If you Gentiles with a wild branch from a wild tree, extracting your sustenance from a root that was deadly. And God pulled you off that tree and grafted you in to the tree that is his life, that is his redemption, that is his wonder. If he did that because branches were removed from the tree to make room for you, the last thing you should be thinking is having arrogance toward the branches that were removed from the tree. So he's saying this, if God removed branches that belonged to the tree to make room to graft you in who didn't belong to the tree, the last thing you should do is be arrogant toward the branches that were removed. How dare you? If anything, you should get on your knees and be grateful that you have a place on the tree at the cost of some other branches that were removed from the tree. Paul is undoing arrogance here because what we do is we do the comparison thing. You rejected, you're out, I accepted, I'm in, too bad for you. No, God made room for you by them being removed. That's incredible. You are the recipient of extraordinary kindness. How dare you be arrogant? How dare you judge them? That's what he's saying. Now watch. Now he's going to explain. Now it's going to get super cool. Sorry, this stuff is just unbelievable. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Now he's going to say this. If you are, so if you are arrogant toward the branches, if you are starting to think you're better than ethnic Israel because they rejected and you accepted and they should have and you shouldn't have, but you did and you're awesome and that's why you belong to this tree, that's why you were grafted in to this incredible root, think again, my friend. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Isn't that awesome? We talked about this, right? The branches become what the root is. The root doesn't become what the branches are. You don't choose a branch that has resilience. You choose a root that has resilience because that makes the branch resilient. So he's saying, don't in your arrogance think that you awesome branch hopped on the old tree and the root's just super thrilled to have you. You, by the grace of God, by his mercy, were pulled off a wild tree. And by the way, what was that wild tree? Anybody remember? What root were we extracting our life from before we came to Jesus? The root of this world. And what fruit does the root of this world birth? You remember? It's all over the New Testament. Death is the big word. Here's some of the smaller words of death. Envy, strife, arrogance, murder, uh, uh, gossip, sexual immorality, uh, um, Uh, divisiveness, Um, I mean, I could go on, just terrible, deadly fruit. And that's what we were once a part of. And he pulled us off of that tree from that root and he grafted us into this beautiful tree of life. And the only reason that happened, in part, was because there were branches of that tree that had been removed because they had rejected. Don't be arrogant, be grateful. Watch, watch. Remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. 
But then you will say, and I love this, Paul goes, so I make that argument and then you say, well, yeah, I mean, the root supports me, but the getting on the tree, the reason there was room made is because those insane Israelites rejected Jesus. And so they were torn off the tree because of their unbelief. So look what he says. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Now, he's not saying Israel, uh, um, the Gentiles were like, oh man, I'm, I'm just deeply moved that these branches were broken off so that I would get in. They're saying those stupid branches were pulled off because they're unbelief. And so that's why I got in. They, they were still unfaithful, that they deserve to be pulled off. I mean, you just spent 9, 10, and 11 showing us that. Look what Paul says next. Look at this. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Now, it gets tricky. Because what you're going to start hearing in the next part of this passage is going to seem like Paul is saying, yep, you're right, because of their unbelief, they were torn off the tree. So had they just believed, they would have stayed on the tree. But thank goodness they didn't believe because now you got a chance to believe. But that's not what Paul's actually getting at, and you'll see why in a minute. What he's going to show us is that their unbelief, their stumbling over the Messiah was actually part of the story God wrote in for redemption of the Gentiles, but he has a plan despite their unbelief to see them wrap back around into the story. So he's saying, you're observing from the outside. You remember how Romans 9 was behind the curtain about God's work and then Romans 10 was our participation? And so often we only see what we see, but God is at work in a much deeper way. Here's what he's saying. From your vantage point, it kind of looks like they didn't believe, so they're off. But God was being gracious to you by allowing them to stumble so that there would be space for you. Watch, okay? So you say, yeah, but you know, they were torn off the tree because of their unbelief. Now look at this. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, you say, right? But we're on the tree because of our faith. Now is it true that because of their faith, because of faith in Jesus, they are grafted into the tree? Yes, and is it true that Israel in their unbelief were pulled off the tree? Yes, but have we not learned that faith is a gift from who? God, so my faith that gets me on the tree is God's grace and mercy to me. And the unbelief of the Israelites are written into the story so that I, a Gentile, might be in the story. Wait for it now, wait for it, watch. For if, uh, 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 sorry, so let's go back, so. So, do not become proud, but fear. So he just said, you're in because of faith, they're out because of unbelief. But don't become proud, actually fear this. Why should you fear this? Watch. Because if this is going to be about belief and unbelief, and actually God is reacting to our belief and unbelief, that this isn't God's story of us being grafted in, it's actually our story and God reacting, then this is how it goes down. Watch this. For if God did not spare the natural branches, that's ethnic Israel, Neither will he spare you. Ooh. See, what he's about to do to the Gentiles is say this. If you're counting on your faithfulness to keep you on the tree, because um, you're awesome, and they were unfaithful so they're off the tree, what are the chances you're going to stay on this tree? Zero. Zero. You're not going to stay on this tree. Because if this is about their unbelief and now you're super faithful, the second you're unfaithful, do you think if God was willing to take the original branches off the original tree that he would not be willing to rip you right off this tree because you're grafted in? Of course he will. So what should you do? Look at this. Look at this. Note then the 
kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Now, what does he mean here? Okay, this is awesome. I'm so sorry. I know I'm repeating that a lot, but I, this, this is mind-blowing all day long. I can't believe what we're encountering here. Okay, watch what God just did. You wouldn't have even noticed it, but watch this. He just said this. If you want to stay humble and not be arrogant about how your faithfulness got you on the tree, here's what you, need to, here's what you simply need to do. Consider God's severity toward unfaithfulness. Is God just? And is he severe toward unfaithfulness, toward sin? Oh, yes. And then consider God's kindness toward you. Should he have been severe toward you? Yes, was he? No, because you were awesome? No, because he was awesome. Yes. So the second you start getting arrogant about the branches that were cut off and you think you're awesome, stop. Consider God's severity toward unfaithfulness. And if you do, you'll realize you're not going to stay on this tree by your own faithfulness, are you? And consider God's kindness toward you. How are you going to stay on this tree? Through God's kindness. Now look what he does next. Look. But God's kindness to you provided you continue. Oh, oh. Condition, condition. Whenever you see a condition in scripture, you ought to get a bit panicky, okay? Here's why. Because we've been saying all along, this is God's unconditional love and his unconditional grace and he rescued us. But now he just said, uh, you, you can't stay on this tree provided you continue in something. What do you think's gonna come next? See, if, if, if I hadn't read this yet, here's what I would think. Provided you continue in faithfulness right? Or provided you continue in holiness or provided you continue in, ha- in having faith in Jesus or provided you continue in something that is yours. But look what he actually writes. Provided you continue in his kindness. How do you stay on this tree? Provided that you continue in what? His kindness. What's that got to do with you? N- nothing. How do you continue in his kindness? You don't. He does. Provided you continue in his kindness, you stay on the tree. You are not on this tree because you were faithful and the Israelites weren't. They are not off this tree because they didn't believe and you did. He, he wrote into the story that their unbelief would move them off the tree to make room for you Gentiles and you are in only because he is kind and it is only his kindness that will keep you on this tree. So if you get arrogant about their unbelief and your belief, stop it. Because it's not arrogance that should be born here, it's awe. Because he was kind to you in incredible ways. And if you remain in his kindness, will you remain in his kindness? You're not sure, are you? Allow me to boldly answer the question, yes, why? Because is he always kind? Is his faithfulness forever? Will he ever Will he ever cease in his kindness toward those that he has grafted into the tree? No. So where is my confidence? In my faithfulness or his kindness? His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut out. You see, if you don't remain in his kindness, you're going to be cut out. But can you not remain in his kindness? No, because it's his kindness, not yours. Now look at this. (laughs) And even they if they do not continue in the unbelief will be grafted in for God has the power to graft them in again. Now this is super cool, watch. God is saying, you are in because of my kindness and I grafted you in by making room for you as I, as I had them out because of the unbelief. But just as you think about my kindness toward you and you go, wow, that's amazing, 
but what about the ethnic Israel as a, as a people group, right? He goes, don't worry about them. My story isn't done with them yet because my kindness toward you is also a kindness toward them. Though I removed them from the tree to make room for you, what am I going to do? If they don't continue in their unbelief, what's gonna happen to them? They're gonna get grafted back into the tree because I can do that, God says. Now, he made a condition if they don't continue in their unbelief, but what he does next is shows us that they're not gonna continue in their unbelief. So he literally goes, if they don't continue in their unbelief, they're gonna get grafted in, and by the way, I made sure they wouldn't continue in their unbelief. I mean, I'm sorry, this is so crazy. Look at this. For if you were cut from what is a natural uh, what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a, a, a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So here's what God's saying. From the beginning of time, my plan was always to use Israel, ethnic Israel, to be gracious toward the Gentiles and to use the Gentiles to be gracious toward ethnic Israel and to have all of you work together in my story to see all of you, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation come to know Jesus. And I'm not gonna do it in the beginning or the end, I'm gonna do it progressively throughout. It is a constant weaving of the story. God's story of redemption to us at different times in history has seemed odd, hasn't it? He chooses this group, rejects this group, and he rejects that group and chooses this group because that group was unfaithful and this group was faithful. So God must be choosing and rejecting by our faithfulness and what God just went is this. Not at all. I never chose Israel over the Gentiles. I used Israel to bless the Gentiles and I never chose the Gentiles over Israel. I used the Gentiles to bless Israel because I am for who? All nations, tribes, and tongues. And I'm faithful to whom? All nations, tribes, and tongues. And I will be faithful to whom? All nations, tribes, and tongues. So it leaves us with this. We, you and I, have our story. And does it not often seem in our story that God is absent, that he's forgotten us, that circumstances are out of whack, that God's somehow messed up the story? Sure it does. Doesn't it seem like he's rejecting this and saving that? When we look at our families and our children and they're going ballistic, don't we sometimes go, oh my gosh, God, have you forgotten us? What has God just shown us? That for all of time and space, has he ever missed a beat? Has he ever? Even when it seemed like he was doing odd things, was he doing odd things? No, he was doing what things? Beautiful things. Is he faithful? Is he good? Is he working this story out to finish everything he started and to make all things new? And will he not do that for you? Is he not doing that for you? Even though you may not see in the immediate these realities. What this screams at us is two things. Don't be arrogant and think you are better than anyone else. You are a recipient of God's grace grafted into his root system to extract life from him because of his mercy and his mercy alone, Jew or Gentile. And since you belong to him now and you are in this tree by his kindness and you will remain in this tree because of his kindness, you can trust him with your story even when your story seems out of whack. And while you're trusting him with your story, you can fearlessly engage other people's stories with the gospel of Jesus Christ because you won't cause them to reject and you won't cause them to accept. That's his business. 
you will just get the privilege of participating in the expression of the beauty of his redemptive story, the gospel, as you preach the gospel through your life and your words to your social networks, your co-workers, your city, your nation, and to the ends of the earth. We have nothing to fear because God is good, God is faithful, God is for us, and God will not ever, ever fail us because his story will always end redemptively. Boy, we serve a good God, don't we? Let's pray. God, thank you for this beautiful tree that has four different fruits born out of a single root system because they could be grafted in. And thank you that this little tree is but a small reflection of the beautiful redemptive story that you have been and continue to unfold in human history. Using ethnic Israel to bring Gentiles into your story and then using Gentiles to bring ethnic Israel back to your story so that neither of us can boast, so that neither of us are better than the other, so that neither of us can say because of us salvation has occurred, but all of us have to say because of you we are grafted in, because of you we belong, because of you we are part. And now we bear fruit, the fruit of life, not because we are full of life, but because you are the root through which we extract our life. Give us a deep sense of trust in the everyday parts of our story that seem so out of whack sometimes. Remind us that if you've got all of history figured out, then you by golly have our little story figured out. And that you have authored it beautifully, even when the circumstances try to tell us otherwise. And out of that trust, give us the courage to fearlessly engage our story and carry redemption into it. Because you are our root and from you we have life. God, you are good beyond imagination and we are in awe of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.